Hello and welcome to Our Voices, Our Community, presented by Colors VA Magazine. Our Voices, Our Community focuses on community issues to include, but not limit, to social, political, and economic issues. Let's introduce the voices in our room today. And I have Catherine Cable. How are you doing, Catherine? Great. How are you? I am well. Tell me a little bit about yourself. I am banned from the NRA. This is the most important thing that anyone can know about me. Okay. All right. (laughs) And I don't have any guns and I'm not, well, I'm scary, but I guess I'm real scary to them. The end. (laughs) You you scare me sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) I I do read your Facebook posting. It's getting real today. (laughs) Okay. All right. Then I have Karen Fry Cobb. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Good, good. Good to hear from you. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, I am uh, a social justice activist. I am a um, a survivor. My son was killed by gun violence. Um, I am a, a human. Um, I, I think I'm a good soul um, with a lot of concern for the community and to today's society as well. Um, I am a person who loves to see people heal. And uh, professionally, I am I work for an HR company uh, in the Fortune 100 realm. All right. Good. Glad to, glad to have you here. And we have Will Solari. Hello. Will, how are you doing, man? I'm well. How are you? I am well. I am well. Tell me a little bit about yourself. I'm a uh, director and storyteller who, again, fulfilling my dream of being a guest on every podcast. <laughs> every podcast. Is, are, um, are you close to doing that? Getting there. Mm-hmm. Uh, unlike Karen, I try to be good. <laughs> Okay. Uh, and then, um, uh, unlike Karen, he doesn't succeed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I do my best. I'm earnestly trying. Uh, and if we could uh, somehow get enough sponsorship to turn this into like a progressive think tank, I would. I would fulfill probably all my dreams. Well, that's one of my dreams too. We'll, we're gonna work that. We're gonna make that happen. We'll, good. We're good. gonna make that happen. And last but not well, I'm last. But Jose, you're next. Hello, everyone. Wells. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Thank you. Yeah. Now you tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, I work with uh, Casa Latina, um, a group that supports the Latino community. I'm also a chair of the Modern Languages Department at the uh, at Rono College, and um, uh, I work to bring diversity and inclusion to a college campus that really needs a lot of diversity and inclusion. <laughs> okay, well, we're good, Jose. Glad to see you. We uh, actually took a minor, well, the ladies didn't take a break, but we took a break. Mm-hmm. The men did. And uh, we want to thank Karen Jones for moderating, holding the uh, the big mic <laughs> last week. She had the big mic, and they had a very good conversation. You think you had a great conversation last week, Catherine? I enjoyed it. Good, good. I, was, I made a few jokes. <laughs> yeah, you made the, yeah, it was well-received. <laughs> <laughs> and the women took over, and um, it was great, and great to have that discussion. And um, my mother was happy to do that as well. So I was glad to see her in her end. But I learned a lot. She was incredible. Mm. Yes, yeah, I didn't. I didn't know some of the stories. She, I, I listened to the podcast, and I was surprised at some of the stories, especially about her education. Yeah. Um, I did not know that. And you know, so, I worked the polls one time with your mom, and did you really? Yeah, over at uh, Lincoln, and. Um, She's fantastic. I, and I would have I no idea. So. I, she's, she, she, uh, 
you know, not that you're you're an old older gentleman or whatever, but I would have no idea she was your mom. She's so like you know spry and and whip smart and 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 very you know patient and polite. So well, she raised me. She well, would have to be right. patient <laughs> to, to raise me. I tell you that much. And um, she always says she had me when she was twelve. So um, that's there you <laughs> so that makes sense. But no, that was great. It was great discussions. And again, I appreciate everyone participating in that. So today we we're gonna. Um, I wish we could laugh all day um, during this podcast, but um, we're unfortunately we can't because some of the subjects we're going to talk about today um, is really sad. And um, the uh, two uh, young teens um, committed suicide during the that was part of the Park, Parkland massacre um, during this week, and in um, it really brought an issue, again, about the gun violence. Um, also, it talked about mental health as well because of this. And well, let's just have a round um, table discussion. I know also um, Jeremy Rickman in 2000, um, regarding Sandy Hook, um, he committed suicide as well. Um, so we're starting to see more of the after effects of of these massacres and affecting people um, with this. And so uh, let's go around the table. And let's, what are your thoughts about the issues regarding these suicides, William? I, I think this is one of the, the best examples of why these things should be, if, if just for the symbolic reason of it, we should count them as terrorism. Because the long-lasting effects of, of any kind of, of situation within a school, any situation involving children, especially the death, the harm, and all the, the things that come from these shooters. I mean, those effects not only are going to last a little while, but they're going to last a lifetime, and they're meant to do that. And it's terrible. And and by you know going well, it's just trouble and mental health, and not calling it often what it is. Um, we're never going to fix that problem. And it's tragic that these things happen. It's tragic they happen in the first place, and it's tragic the aftermath of them. Because it'll never change. You'll never get your child back. You'll never um, be able to kind of feel safe in, in, in spaces again, like I'm sure a bunch of the kids from Parkland um, felt. And it can take someone who's probably already feeling a little fragile, already feeling a little uh, unsafe, and just you know drive them to the point where they, they feel like they have to take their own life. So I think if, we, if we're honest about really what happens with the with these things and the intent and, the, the, and often the tools they use to to carry these things out and, and to carry out terroristic acts, um, then you can start to, to kind of make some kind of headway and, and preventing and changing that. So, um, Karen, I know this is a sensitive subject. So um, I know your son was murdered. Right. And, um, and so the the emotions were definitely uh, were high. And so yeah. you can kind of relate to what these parents, especially the, the parent, especially a Sandy Hook, went through when, they, when a child was murdered. A- absolutely. And that emotion around it. It's, and it's an extremely emotional subject. Um, number one, I'd just like to comment on um, the last statement that 
um, we have to recognize these incidences as terrorism. Yeah. Um, uh, it's nothing but terrorism. And I think the fact that our leadership, the leadership in the country, does not recognize it as terrorism um, is even more traumatizing to the people who have gone through it because not only do um, we, I say we because I'm a survivor, have to deal with it on a personal level, we also have to deal with a government who won't recognize um, and call it what it is. Right. right? So that's, that's even more traumatizing that, we, you know, we might not have that support system in our personal lives, but we definitely don't have that support system governmentally um, because they won't even call it out for what it is. Um, for me, on a personal level, um, every time I see something like this in the paper or hear it on TV, it's 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 re-traumatizing. It, it really is. Um, it takes a little piece of you each and every time you hear of someone else that is, um, you know, uh, killed by um, by guns. Whether it's um, a place like Marjorie Stoneman uh, Douglas, mm -hmm. you know, at a high school, or whether it's a community um, uh, shooting, mm -hmm. you know, uh, as I always say, the the main uh, the common denominator is the gun um and uh you know there is just so much um uh, there's just so much going on at a, at a on a political level with the gun lobby with the nra uh with with these people who just they want they want us to have a culture of guns um period and they'll do anything and everything um to to get us to that point um, now, on a personal level with the trauma, um, I think it was the city of Nashville or uh, Knoxville or one of those cities in Tennessee that have opened up an emergency hospital or emergency clinic for um, you know people who are going through some sort of a psychiatric um, event, you know, a traumatizing event. So say, for instance, um, I saw something on the news and I just broke down right. and I felt like I needed help at, at two o'clock in the morning because I just couldn't take it anymore. As a survivor, I can imagine something like that happening. Um, my only choice would be to go to Roanoke Memorial Hospital or one of the local hospitals and sit there and wait uh, in a waiting room and hopefully somebody um, could, you know, come at another, you know, at some time and help me and say, hey, you know, we're going to uh, put you in, in this uh, ward for three days uh, where, you know, we're just going to observe you. As, or we could have a clinic where it's focused only on psychiatric services or people who are experiencing trauma in real time hmm. and have a place to go. Um, so I look to cities that have these types of models um, as examples of um, cities who are taking this thing really seriously, right? That people who are, who are taking action to really recognize that there are traumatized communities out there and there are solutions that that can be put in place rather than just raise your hand in the air and say, oh, well, well, there's another one. Let's move on. Uh, that's just where I'm at right now. Yeah. I think that's an amazing point. That is just, and the other thing that I note is that, you know, sometimes after um, uh, one of these shootings that gets a lot of media attention, um, because it's in a richer or wider community, you know, everybody says, oh, look, they're sending services. But I note that in this case, 
even those services that, that, that they got in that community was not nearly enough. And then you think about the deficit in communities where we're not giving any services, where the most that we get, I mean, here, you know, um, we've, you know, we've, we've had to help, you know, get headstones for people, you know, I mean, like, that's the kind of, you know, and, and much less, you know, mental health counseling to deal with the trauma. Right. And so, you know, the fact that we don't have these community services, you know, we talk about the cost of gun violence, like, I mean, imagine how much, you know, we're, 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 we're skimping, but then it causes more, you know, it causes more gun violence because people are traumatized and it's either self-harm or harm to others. Like when you're angry, you know, then you turn it around on other people. I mean, do you think that like in Roanoke, we could have something that, um, you know, really like centered the trauma of, of survivors and of people who are were impacted? Yeah, exactly. Are do there you, support have you I found mean, anything around here to be helpful or that? Do we need to create something? Does the city towards? need to get on that? I, th- I think it's a, it's going to be a community effort. I mean, for instance, okay, so the Roanoke City Jail has realized, um, you know, they have said over and over again, we're not a mental health services um, uh, facility, um, but a lot of the, the folks that they deal with are going through mental health issues. So right. they have built a, a section of their jail that is supposed to address people who are going through uh, mental health trauma or crisis. Now, where that is right, right now, I haven't followed it much. I don't know. But I do know that that did come on the tail end of some things that happened in the jail and them realizing that if we don't change something, we're going to have more crises right. within uh, the jail. Um, Community-wise, I've heard people talk, and, and I know there's a lot of, there's just a lot of chatter going on We right have a now. lot of good intentions yeah, going on Yeah, a here. lot of good intentions and yeah, a lot of chatter. Straight to hell with that. Um, <laughs> but I, I find it difficult to believe when you have city government who uh, last year wouldn't even recognize where Orange Day or give us a proclamation uh, to recognize those who had been uh, killed by gun violence, um, that they wouldn't even provide a pro- proclamation for Moms Demand Action, which is a, is a group that's a national volunteer organization that... Um, you know, how how is a, a government that's not going to recognize that going to come together and even talk about, um, you know, a traumatized community? Now, I will say there have been some changes in city government uh, since then. So I, I don't want to get my hopes up too high, um, but I do believe that we do have the ears of some. Um, I believe that some really don't give a darn really yes. what happens, mm-hmm. um, but I think there's some that do. So uh, it's a process. And unfortunately, before that happens, we're going to see more uh, tragedy and we're going to see more uh, gun deaths. I remember, um, Catherine, I believe a year ago, you gave me a booklet. I still have it. I still have it. But it really brought to light all the, the deaths by gun violence in this city. Yeah, I remember that booklet. And I look at it, and it's still it is still on my desk. It's still on my desk, and I look at it, and it, it saddens me that you 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 mentioned that there are some things happening, and I know there, um, I know the council. I don't know if it's either one council member or is the council as a whole is trying to start this conversation on gun violence and and so forth. But I, I'm. Amazing. It was about 23 people. Yeah. 
was a lot of people. people. Yeah, I couldn't finish. I actually couldn't finish the booklet because I didn't have enough time and I left several people off at the end of the year. That's sad. But I mean, I just got, I ran out of time. So it wasn't even completed. Do any of you guys know what the kind of stance on the, or where they're at with the kind of gun violence task force? Initiative is that what, is Karen? that what we were just talking about with the council? Yeah, yeah, that's what we're talking about. There's um, they're supposed to be putting together a committee, a committee of community members um, to address it. And I know um, there's been outreach by uh, Joe Cobb and um, Trish uh, White Boyd and um, I think Michelle Davis and Juna have also. Um, um, talked about their interest in, you know, being a part of that. Um, but from what I understand, they're working on it um, from the back end. I'm really anxious to um, hear what they're putting together. Um, but as of yet, I haven't heard anything. Um, Go ahead, oh, so I did just want to add um, real quick um, the public health aspect of particularly the suicide piece, yes. um, which is that, um, you know, we, we so stigmatize talking about mental health that that's a re- you know, that's a real problem in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we have to, we have to reduce the stigma. And part of that is to make sure that we talk about, um, you know, honestly about how to prevent suicide. Right. Yes. And one great way to prevent suicide is that a lot of folks, it's a very, um, you know, I would, I would emphasize that for especially gun suicide, it's very impulsive and that for kids, especially for these teens that we're talking about in Parkland, that the number one indicator of, um, of, of, or excuse me, risk factor, I would say, the number one risk factor for a teen gun suicide or really teen suicide in general is having a gun in the home. So, you know, folks think because, and, and, you know, at first I said, I blame the parents and I, and I probably should not have said that. Okay. Um, sometimes my mouth runs faster than my brain, but, um, (laughs) what I mean is I actually blame the NRA because the NRA told these parents that if they bought a gun, that would protect them and that would protect their family. But that's a lie. And we know that, but they have stopped all research. They won't let us do research. They won't let us further those conclusions that they're, they're conclusive studies that have shown that kids with a gun in the home are at much higher risk of suicide. And yet we don't talk about this and we, and the NRA shuts down all conversations. So that's, that's really where I, you know, I, I just really want to emphasize that. And not all these suicides necessarily were gun, you know, were caused by gun, excuse me, the ultimate cause was guns, but directly caused by guns. But, you know, some of them were. But so. it is like yeah. you said, you know, they learned from the tobacco industry oh God, to time. not let the research out. Yeah. Yeah. Jose, you want to chime in? Now I understand why she's banned from the NRA. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking like this is very dangerous for, a, for an organization like the NRA. <laughs> but it's good, you know, this is a kind of activism that, that, that we need. Uh, going back to the traumatic experience uh, that uh, we already know is a lasting negative effect, you know, uh, especially for, um, uh, in this case of the... Uh, the 19-year-old that committed uh, a suicide. If you have other uh, other people, uh, other persons around her that are already suffering a some some sort of traumatic experience, it's like a domino effect. You know, it's gonna just steer. You know, or probably ignite. You know that. Probably that's a possibility. And I'm also, you know, uh, hearing everybody here, I am thinking the role of um, pharmaceutical industries that play here, you know, for example, uh, the uh, type of pills that these people are giving. I remember the case of um, uh, the famous actor, um, what's his name? Uh, oh, God, it's just... Uh, the one who played in Batman? No, well, him, plus... Uh, uh, 
it's going to come back to me. Mrs. Double Fire or something like that. Oh, Robin Williams. Yeah, Robin Williams, you know, that uh, there's been a lot of suicide, you know, in the celebrity um, uh, world that it it is related to the uh, type of medication that they're they're taking. So uh, that's another thing, you know, that that I was thinking, you know, if the medication that these people are taking are probably a contributing factor, you know, to that as well. Even though the traumatic experience, it's already in itself a huge factor that has to be taken into consideration. And if you don't have the proper facilities, if you don't have the proper um, 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 uh, medical field or expertise in order to help these people yeah. you know, move forward, understanding that traumatic experience, you add a pill or a, medi- uh, or a medication that is just going to um, um, uh, increase, you know, that uh, suicide, you know, uh, emotions, uh, the post-traumatic uh, experience for soldiers, for example, you know, there's a huge suicide in that as well that is correlated to the type of medication that they're, that they're taking. So that is just one thing that I was thinking, you know, listening to these conversations. Yeah. Well, and you see, the, you see the response by the government and, and places like that once we do have the data in place because, you know, opioids are an epidemic now yes. uh, and the amount of like, and we, and we can see how that, that has a ripple effect from, you know, opioid users who go on to use heroin and heroin is mixed with other things. And you have all these data correlating that. And then we do something about it. But again, if you, if you, if you seal all the data and you make sure that, you know, the CDC and places like that can't research gun violence or can't research the, the broader effects of gun violence, then we're never going to get anything done about it. And and thank you for mentioning that because in my comment, I'm not excusing you know that uh, that the medication is the uh, so responsible for this, but the experience you know of of uh, of a gun violence that is already a traumatic experience in itself, adding <laughs> another problem like the medication, that's two huge problems for an individual that is trying to cope with that experience. I'd like to just bring up one more no, go ahead, no. um, subject about this, and, and that's New Zealand. Um, yes. What has recently happened in New Zealand, it was tragic. It was awful. But I tell you, you want to see an example of leadership? Yes, I agree with that. That is an totally. example of leadership. If we could have that type of leadership here in the United States... I, I just can't imagine what good it would do, Um, you know, that people felt that their government supported them. Um, And even the NRA tried to put their fingers in that in that situation. They're they're far reaching. Um, it, It just amazes me how they are trying to control this whole story. Um, mm-hmm. about guns and and uh, they I think they want um, total control and and it's a few people you know that are really behind this but I mean if we could just have that leadership that we had the the, the showing of of empathy um, the showing of understanding you know I just want to go over to New Zealand and I want to hug her I just want to give her a big old hug because I feel like she gets it and that even speaks a little bit more to having women in in uh, in office who are <laughs> running things as well but I'm gonna leave that Right there. <laughs> and, um, okay. Something you know that is that, that I admire from that type of leadership in New Zealand is that they are launching an investigation as to why did it happen with the intention that something like that should not happen again. 
So I think that's very important. Catherine. Okay, last, last thing. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Um, so, you know, the New Zealand comment made me think that uh, there's actually like a flip side to that, which is that Bolsonaro is now, and, and Venezuela are now, we're, we're, we're loosening all our exports on guns. And so like there's going to be a house, um, I think it's uh, I think it's Foreign Relations Committee um, today investigation into how we've loosened our export restrictions on who we're spending, sending guns to abroad. And I mean, we have have a history of this, right? We have a history of sending guns into um, Central America and into other, you know, into, into regimes in, in Central and South America and destabilizing them just by sending the guns and just by sending, and then like, like we get, and then immigrants come to our shore, you know, to our, to our Southern border. And we're like, Oh gee, why are you guys here? And they're like, um, cause you sent us a bunch of guns instead of sending birth control and counselors, which we would have appreciated. <laughs> you know, I mean, well, and, like, and, it's and just, it's just crazy. It becomes part of a radicalization toolkit. You know, if you look at, um, you know, what happened in New Zealand, I mean, and granted, this guy had like a, what, it was like a 75-page manifesto, but, yeah. you know, he talks about, you know, the uh, Trump being a symbol of like, you know, white heritage and, and unity and all this kind of crap. And, and again, when you take those kind of ideas and you spread them, and then you also give them guns by which to carry these things out like it's it's never going to it's never going to end well and talking about the leadership here you no know, when a trump gets asked the question if he feels that there's a widespread of uh, white supremacy in the world he answers no no that, that 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 is not the problem that the problem goes back to evil people i mean it's it seems to be like the buzzword now evil people with a mental problem mm -hmm. you no know, so if someone commits this type of act, that's an evil person who has a mental issue. And that just goes back to leadership on a local and a state level as well, um, and it's especially the local level. And again, that just brings us right back to, okay, come on, let's get this task force together. Let's get it moving um, before we have more injuries and and uh, traumas What's happening the in our table community. On that? There is none at this point. And see, okay, well, I'm going to reserve uh, comment on that. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, we've been dealing with this for years. And yeah. locally. Yeah. And I understand, you know, sometimes we say a lot of things and we throw it up in the air and and then I mean, my, my fear at this I, point in time want, is yeah. if we don't get moving on this, that, I mean, honestly, like your frustration mm -hmm. scares me because I know that like, you know, you have a lot to deal with, right? So Karen has a lot to deal with. She has her job. She has her grandkids. She has a lot, you know? And like, what if we burn through her time and her goodwill when I think that she could be a key person on this task force? And I think mm -hmm. a lot of people do. So like, what scares me is when you spend all that time on, on talk instead of the action is that you just burn people out. You burn them out. And, Look, let the, and let the situation I'm grateful, die down. I'm grateful for each and every day. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I hate, I've been through trauma. My son and one of his best friends were murdered and murdered brutally. Um, three of my best friends had their sons killed in one year. Um, but even prior to that, I was clinically diagnosed with depression as a, as a teenager and clinically diagnosed with PTSD. So then comes the gun violence and my son being killed on top of that. Some people would probably say, Are you sure you're not a walking time bomb, you know, um, and when is she, you know, when is she going to explode? Um, and I just, I'm so grateful um, for the support that I've had in my life. 
um, that have helped me get through these times because I'm not sure that everyone has had that type of support. I'm so grateful that I was able to find my voice and finally speak about these things. Um, you know, I, I'm grateful that, you know, I haven't decided to die by suicide yeah. um, just for today. And and that's just where I'm at. I take each day, well, one day at a time. Well, you know, we love you to death. Oh, and, and I love y'all you all too. We appreciate you. you. And appreciate Absolutely. you. And we hope that this uh, citywide um, initiative on gun violence, I hope we, uh, I hope they're really serious about it because I'm, I know I'm tired of it. I know, um, I, well, today is a fortunate day for me because um, I celebrated 27 years in my fraternity. Um, and uh, Mega Sci-Fi, I have to mention that. I'm sorry. That's right. That's I've right. been trying to plug it through Q. the TV segment. Right, and I couldn't, I it's tried to plug it. But I tried to plug it in. Now I'm plugging it in the podcast. All but right. a reason why I'm bringing it up, because one of my line brothers, uh, Achibe Warren, he committed suicide. Um, he shot himself um, four years ago. Mm. And and so I was talking to one of my um, line brothers today as we were reminiscing Chibi, we call him, because he he was going through a lot of mental issues that was we were completely unaware Mm -hmm. of it. And unfortunately, um, his son witnessed it. Um, And and now Mm -hmm. we have the trauma to deal with that. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know. And, and to this day, I think about him. He was one of my, I, mean, I love all my line brothers, but he was right. one of my closest uh, dear friends. And so to, you know, today, actually, every year on March 26th, I remember that uh, and remember him. So we need to do something about this. And that's so true. And the other thing is that we need to ensure that the folks who are going to provide these services understand trauma they understand this whole subject of, of gun violence, that they're, that they're not just going to prescribe a pill um, and that they're not just going to, um, you know, just gloss over some of the things that they really need to, to dig into. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate to have had great care um, uh, for all of my issues, and um, I think that's one of the things that that keeps me together is that I've had a really good care, um, and one of those things that provides me those good care that good care is the fact that I have a job with great insurance. Right. And one of my goals, one of my goals, is to ensure that. And whether it's through the five hundred one c three that I plan on opening and the business that I plan on opening is to ensure that families who experience this sudden trauma or tragedy have um, uh, money to receive those mental health services that they need immediately because not everyone has that insurance, not everyone has that benefit. Um, And I've had people come to me and say, where can I go? Um, Victim Services provides a list of counselors, but what a lot of people don't know is that those counselors are not free they're not, um, uh, they, they, you have to pay for their services. So what good is a list of doctors uh, or counselors if, if you're unable to pay for them? Yeah. Yeah. Kath, we're going to wrap this up. Well, I know that, you know, um, I'm, you know, your friend, I'm so sorry yeah. that it's tough. And, and one of the things that we don't talk about with suicide is that we don't, we don't often talk about how it's, um, 
I, you know, it, that knowing someone else can um, then be a risk factor for you. So knowing someone and being socially connected to someone can be a risk factor for you. And we don't talk about that openly and honestly. And, you know, I think back to like um, AIDS and HIV and Mm -hmm. how when we started talking about safe sex and sex practices in an unembarrassed and honest way that we all got a lot healthier. And so, I I mean, you know, I just hope that we can start talking about our, you know, our mental health and our and our risk factors and, and those kinds of things just in a healthy um, supportive way, because one of the things that, you know, your friends, maybe he didn't feel like, you know, he could be open up even to his friends, even though he felt your love, you know, right. that society told him that he wasn't allowed to open up to you guys in that way about those particular struggles. And so, um, you know, I just hope that anybody listening knows that, you know, we do, people do want to hear about your struggles and, and there's no amount of strength that stops anybody from having, a, having struggles. And <laughs> it agree. just doesn't exist. I agree, especially in, you know, I know all different ethnicities go through but especially with African American men, we um, we contain a lot of stuff, and we're we're positioned somewhere that we can't. Sometimes we're not we raised that way. We're not allowed to express ourselves. We're not, especially black men, we're not allowed to do that. And um, and I think. Um, I think we need to start. Um, I try to do a better job with my children expressing myself and also, and also to, to my wife and family. Um, but uh, it's, it's a subject that um, we're going to we have to gonna work on. Yep. We definitely have to work on. We're going to um, transition a little bit. Uh, we're going we're to talk about mental health in a different way. Uh, we're going to talk about the police departments. <laughs> 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 the, pe- the state of our police departments in the region. The is that watchman. a great segue? <laughs> but but there are a lot of things have happened this past week uh, that I think is is alarming, and, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about the three three issues here in our police departments around around our great state. Um, in Lynchburg, we had two police officers um, accused of shooting and injuring an unarmed man. Um, he was in his home. And um, he, he, they shot him in his right leg and shattered his femur, and also his vision was impaired. Um, in exchange for the pleas of no contest, um, they were they received, I believe, a plea agreement. But they received the police. The, the police officers uh, agreed to a plea agreement. Um, they have um, no jail time. Uh, suspended 12 month sentence and they have probation for two years and complete 100 hours of community service until March 1st 2020 so that means I could go out and shoot someone and get 100 hours of community service well I mean that's well, well, <laughs> my vacation essentially well I mean I'm, I'm still we're still trying to figure out if they actually if they have their job I don't know did they so you? they so, so from what I read they both have, they're they're suspended, um, and I believe it's without pay per, cur- currently. Mm-hmm. But um, they're gonna. One of them wants to be reinstated, and the other one says she's not sure. I mean, the guy who was the lead guy. I just cannot imagine the thought process. And Karen's a police officer, so she can break this all down. But here is what I read, and she can and she can take from there and tell everything that he did wrong. <laughs> but he he see, they're 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 on a, in a rural route, is my understanding. And they see uh they can see from the road that that a door to somebody's house is open, and so they roll up to the house. They don't call for backup. They roll up to the house, and instead of and, and they're worried about it, it's a break in. Okay, fine, you know. But like it's just an open door. 
door, um, they you know, start hooting and hollering on the front porch that, you know, this is the police and they're like about to break, you know, they're about to like bang in and they wake up the guy on the couch who like hears all the like hollering on his porch and thinks like, well, I better shut the door (laughs) and goes to slam the door on them and like, which is normal human response. And they shot through the door, both of them at him. And And it's just, it I, my mind, like the levels of failure here, Karen can explain. Because <laughs> she knows what before, she's talking about. Yeah. But I, my mind just exploded. And, and, yeah, and this is my question then also for you, Karen. Uh, and maybe it's because like my my brain bases things on like film and fiction and things I read and watch and whatever else. But like I, it's my understanding that the police are there to protect and serve. Yes. And I don't know who you're protecting or who you're serving in these circumstances where you harm someone like this or you you create a situation like this. And what protocol there even is for that. I mean, if not to reference like another podcast, but serial this season you know, talked about the long-term effects of people who are, who are, who are wounded or brutalized by the police and how that just creates more crime and violence and, and, and a horrible like world around that. So again, Karen, maybe, maybe you have a little bit more insight in the protect and serve aspect, but I, I, I just assume that's what police are supposed to do. And, and to be fair, I think some of them do, but in this case, <laughs> yeah. Ooh-wee. Wow. Um, okay. So, yeah. Yeah, I was a campus police officer uh, for years. And um, so this brings back uh, training. So I worked on the college campus. And... Um, and we would walk that campus at night. We would patrol the campus. If we saw a door, we had to check every door on that campus to check to make sure it was locked. If a door was ajar or if a door was unlocked, we had a certain code. I can't remember it to this day. I don't want to remember it to this day that we used to call dispatch and tell them that we were going in to check out the building. Hmm. Um, by protocol or the way that I was trained, um, I was trained to pull out my gun and to have my gun ready um, in case we ran across some someone who was breaking or entering into the building or something that, that was going on. Luckily, that never happened. I never had to use my gun. I am so grateful that I did not have to. But we've got two sets of circumstances here. That's going into a door at 11 o'clock at night on private property where you know there's not supposed to be anyone in there. In this situation, this is someone's home, right? Right. Um, and uh, they took it upon themselves to investigate without doing the pre-work. You know, uh, uh, hello, dispatch, who's, whose house is this? Who does it belong to? Do you have a phone number for them? Can you call to see if, if that person is home? You know, there's protocol for that. So that just brings to, to me to, my, to mind that... What was the training that these officers had? I think I understand that one of them was fairly new and just recently out of the police academy. Yes. Um, And officers do what they're trained to do. When I went through the police academy, we were trained at the gun range to shoot for the heart, to shoot for the midsection. You know, we weren't trained to shoot at at the foot or the leg so they can't escape. We weren't trained to shoot at their hands so they could drive their gun, you are trained to shoot at one particular, the midsection of the body. So um, it brings to question what, what was the training for these officers? And then 
my second point, and I'm going to give the mic to someone else. My second point is that there seems to be two different sets of standards, one for citizens and one for police officers. Um, police officers get 100 hours of community service. Well, they say, you know, they have to make split-second decisions and... Um, that everything that they do is in good faith. I'm a little tired of hearing about good faith. Um, was it good faith when Botham Jean got shot by the female police officer in Texas? Yeah. Was that good faith? Was it good faith when Antoine Rose got shot by the police officers? So I think we need to further define what is good faith and what does the training look like? And more so, after these incidents happened, what changes are being made to ensure that it doesn't happen again? What best practices are being drawn up and being looked at from other police departments that have, might have gone through this to ensure that this doesn't happen in the future? And it doesn't seem like one department's talking to each other because this is happening in each and every state yeah. within the United States. Yeah. I'm glad that? you mentioned the, uh, the uh, training <clears throat> And I'm also thinking about the psychological assessment or evaluation of these officers. Uh, how could you shoot someone because they <laughs> close the door? I mean, if you think about training, I don't think in training they tell you shoot if someone shuts the door in your face. No. So that's something that uh, came to my mind, um, <clears throat> just shooting because somebody uh, closes the door on you without actually knowing who's actually closing the door on you. So. What's the fear behind that, you know, and the police officer? So that, that, that goes back to the psychological evaluation. Yeah. That's, that's good stuff. One of the things I wanted to say about that also is, um, you know, training. There are some, there are some trainings that, that are provided by the NRA. Let me just say that, and I'm going to leave it right there. Okay, so some, some trainings are NRA-sponsored. Um, and the second thing is that um, we have to look at implicit bias training as well, um, because a lot of these incidents seem to be happening with, uh, uh, with minorities or people of color. Um, and I happened to go online today and look at an ad, as um, someone was just talking about, for a Roanoke uh, police officer. They have an opening in the police department. It's a continuous ad that stays open. Mm -hmm. 24-7 because they're constantly recruiting. And I was going down the, the list of requirements and you have to be physically able to perform this job. Um, and it does say that the job contains danger, that it is a dangerous job. There was just a small mention that you had to go through some sort of um, a personality. I can't remember what it was called, but you know, um, if, if I and I am in HR and I was, I've been in recruiting for 15 years. I would put somewhere in there that a high level of emotional intelligence is required to perform this job, and implicit bias training is not one class during a 17-week academy. Implicit bias training needs to be woven into the fabric of each and every kind of training that is given through that whole 12 or 17 weeks point. or whatever it is. Well, let's, uh, anyone want to add anything regarding this particular story? We have, have two more stories here. Um, kind of speaking of biasness, we're going to transition to our former, uh, the former police chief for Portsmouth. Um, 
as was uh, forced out by city leaders over resistance to her attempts to overhaul uh, their department um, driven by racial tensions. Um, she came to um, Portsmouth. She worked in police forces in Arlington and Richmond. She's, she was the first black woman to lead a municipal police department in Virginia until she resigned last week. In a statement Monday, she said that before arriving in Portsmouth in early 2006, she had never witnessed the degree of systemic bias and acts of systemic racism, discriminatory practices, and abuse of authority in all of almost 30 years, her 30-year career in law enforcement and public safety. And um, I believe it was an incident um, that really sparked it. Uh, there was an incident where a young teen, uh, unarmed black teen, was uh, shot by a white officer in 2015. And she said it was the officer's conviction on conviction, um, conviction, excuse me, on manslaughter charges the following year that revealed her the depth of racial tensions within the police department. Uh, Catherine, you ready to jump, oh, jump in on this? Well, so um, Karen is so angry that she's she might have to sit was that went out for blood pressure reasons <laughs> this one upsets her so yeah. much oh, she's, so so angry. she's she, writing right now she's, <laughs> she's so, writing so, her comments um, but I mean, I, you know what i mean one thing is like i mean this is just shocking like like this is the this is the kind of person that you want to put a police department with the right training and then you see the resistance that she faced from a small minority inside that department but i guarantee you that minority was probably white guys <laughs> sorry white guys mm. <laughs> so um yeah. so but um, she didn't have any, um, no authority, um, no, no one, her cedar, city leaders are the ones that are forcing her out. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about a lack of leadership and foresight, that's, I mean, what kind of message are they sending? Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, it's unfortunate because again, we, we've, I've said this about our, our city council and what's going on with, with some of the police stuff locally, but you know. When you start to have those shifts in a, in a culture and in practice and whatever else to um, resist them and to keep things status quo when they're clearly broken is really problematic. And that's, you know, again, that's a failure of leadership over someone who's displaying really powerful leadership qualities. Because I'm sure it is not easy in, in any job. Uh, a new one, an old one, whatever else, no matter how much experience you have, to go into your whole department and be like, we have to fix all this. There's a problem. I'm you know, explicitly part of this problem now, or implicitly part of this problem now because of, of my position, and we need to do a lot of hard work, and they go, nah, we liked it better when we didn't have to worry about all these messy details. Maybe you should just, I don't know, yeah. put, in your, put in your notice. Karen, I know you've been... Um I'm a, I know you've been writing your thoughts down. I know you're trying to debrief, uh, take deep breaths as you were talking <laughs> doing this. But you want to share with your what you're what you're thinking? Oh my gosh, um, it's you know it, the police departments aren't the only people where this. I mean, only places where this happens. Um, it happens in in companies and corporations and. Um, 
anytime, uh, you know, I, I've seen instances where people of color, um, including my father, um, in the Philadelphia Police Department, uh, he worked under a, a guy named Frank Rizzo, who was a, was a tyrant, um, who became the mayor of Philadelphia. Um, but he, he got to a certain point and he was stopped. Um, and uh, there is a... there. There, in each and every police department, there's going to be, a group is more than one, right? So there's going to be a group of, of people who are going to push back. They don't want to see any person of color, let alone a woman who is a person of color, lead anything. Um, and... Um, my mother experienced this when she worked for the Internal Revenue Service as a civil servant. Uh, she was looked over for promotions uh, because of the color of her skin and because they weren't going to have a woman leading that team. My father was looked over for a promotion to become the, I think it was the assistant commissioner. I can't remember what mm -hmm. it is. Um, so you're always going to have a small faction of people. But the thing that, 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 the sad thing is that usually those people have a strong connection to people in power. And that's what happened here, that these people, the city, are the, they're the folks that have, um, you know, pretty much told her she needed to resign. They didn't even give her an opportunity to, to address the issues. Um, and they told her, look, you need to either sign these papers or we're, or we're going to terminate you. There's more to it behind mm -hmm. the scenes. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, the, it's the people um, of power. I don't think we got the whole story, number one. Mm -hmm. There's more to this story, and I'm hoping that more will come out. And I see that the citizens of Portsmouth have gotten together uh, to speak up and speak out about this. And I want to see that continue to happen because we just cannot continue to let things like this happen in our communities. Well, can, let me ask a question. Um, can one person, and I might ask a question that might be a little asinine, but, but can one person actually make a difference, when you, especially when you're dealing with city government? I mean, because this police chief was obviously was trying to make change, but she didn't have any support behind her. I think she should totally come here. I think one person one person can I think I think I a small group of people can easily one stop change. It's amazing mm -hmm. to me how few people it takes to stop change. Um, I mean, two or three well connected, mm -hmm. but um, I think can stop things. Even one person in the right spot can stop a lot of stuff and have that veto power. But um, I think that I think one person. One person alone, no. But once that one person speaks up, and then, like you said, the community was getting together. Mm -hmm. You know, UVA tried to fire. They did fire their president. And um, she, it was their first female president, and they fired her, and they got rid of her because she wasn't, like, doing online education enough. Well, I mean, we have not seen that online education has been this, like, amazing thing that, you know, has... I mean, it was basically, like, these online courses that were supposed to, like, replace colleges, and they haven't, obviously. But um, she wasn't moving fast enough to that. And so, um, you know, we, we, 
what what we saw at UVA was that a bunch of people rose up and they were on the lawn yelling and they, it was a huge group of people and they were like, hell no, we don't support this. You know, you didn't go through the right processes. You didn't do the right steps and we want her back. And I mean, she did, she, she did, she was reinstated. So like a big group of people, like, and I mean, the first person who probably stood out there and yelled on the lawn, maybe that person was alone, but a few other people joined him. I say that's the key. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's right. And, and, uh, I, I just, um, you know, and we can take this conversation that we're having about this police chief leaving and we can bring it back to trauma. Um, you, you look at now this police chief has probably been somewhat traumatized by this experience, which in turn is traumatizing the community because they see this unfairness, you know, going on, um, which brings it back to, like I said, my parents who were traumatized because they could not get the promotions that they so well deserved that they worked hard, just like the other people who worked with them and came home home every day and you know it's just um it, it's just it builds up you know mm-hmm. it's it's the it's the police in the community it's going to work and not being recognized or not being paid the same it's um one thing on top of another and it just continues to build and then you get labeled the angry black woman or the angry black man and why are you so angry um, it's it's because it's of this constant, constant uh, traumatizing type of um, situations going on. Jose. Or the Latino or the Latina who is unappreciated <laughs> yeah. because right. because this country opened the doors. So they should be appreciated and be comfortable with what they have. Um, uh, I, I, I don't know. Uh, being a Latino and uh, teaching courses, you know, under Latino, Latino history uh, in a in a in a culture we always come across this this concepts you know of discrimination and uh, racism um, in the job area for example um, we talk about a lot about um, uh, this difference you know uh, racial difference uh, between whites and uh, African Americans uh, when it comes to gun violence but uh, since 2016 up to up to 2019 there have been at least maybe like 94. Latino deaths uh, mm. due due to police uh, uh, yeah. uh, um, uh, negative uh, kind of reactions. I don't know what type of reactions. Uh, so, so we are under you know um, the African Americans, you know, and we have a a history <laughs> uh, that, that that goes back to African Americans as, uh, as well. You know, if we want to go back into history, we have a history as uh, as well. So the, uh, especially when we go back to the rhetoric on immigration and the way they criminalize immigration, uh, the way they picture immigration, that uh, this, again, you know, the word evil, or now it's uh, invaders, no? <laughs> That's the word, no? Right. Now in- invaders are coming in, you know, and uh, careful, no? Because uh, Lat- Latinos are rapists, Latinos are criminals, and uh, every Latino you see out there, be very careful about it, you yeah. know. So we drug go back cartel, to, human trafficking. It's, it's yeah, all. It goes back to a systematic uh, uh, um, um, uh, 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 discrimination and uh, racism, you know, that we continue to experience uh, together with the African Americans uh, uh, as well. You know that um, um, we are the ethnics that don't actually fit, and if we fit, 
we have to fit but by being silence okay we have to be uh comfortable with what we have and we cannot aspire to more as we aspire to more then we are entering the realm in which we are contesting power and that's yeah. where the, that's where the white really start to move a lot you know uh, uh, once we start questioning why is it that you have such you know and we don't and if we are americans then we all have to be treated equally you know equality comes into play again but just like the question of freedom you know freedom uh, depends on who's telling freedom or who's thinking about freedom or who is defining freedom you know according to social class according to uh background where you're coming from you know uh, a cultural background that's that is the same thing with equality well you want to add something no, I'm not. Oh, you good? <laughs> okay. I was backing up. Everything you was backing Jose up, was Jose. You backing up, Jose. Well, let's let's talk about our last subject about the state of the police departments in our region. Now we'll talk about our beloved uh, Roanoke Police Chief Tim Jones. Um, last week he made some remarks. Uh, I think he sent a bunch of emails out that uh, I was surprised that they made public. Uh, I didn't know. They, I guess they couldn't make it public, huh? Yeah. Big yeah. shout out to the Roanoke Times and Catherine and all you guys. Boy, yeah. Actually, a newspaper doing their job, isn't yeah. that <laughs> Okay, I'm going to shut up on that one. Uh, but but um, he did make some remarks uh, regarding um, what he mentioned um, about his choices regarding victims of rape. He told supporters that he felt that his only option was to resign at that time. Um, his quote was, my choices for city council were issue." or issue a full apology or resign. He wrote in March 6th as he emailed a supporter, and he said, don't be shocked when my retirement is announced. Um, it wasn't. He didn't announce his retirement. Um, he did express his disappointment and frustration at the time that the city council members didn't publicly support him after the residents call for his resignation. Now, According to statements from city council, uh, I know Mayor Lee is um, still supporting him. Uh, I know city manager Bob Cowell is still supporting him. And I believe uh, uh, our vice mayor as well is, is supporting him. I don't, I don't, well, yeah, it's not, it's not entirely clear. It's right? not clear? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what some of these statements mean. You know. What well, he said, he's exp oh, expressed support. Yeah. I, I don't know what that means. It, what does it, that mean? I'm sure he's a fine gentleman, and I'm sure if I was in his position, which I probably wouldn't be ever, <laughs> but if I did find you myself... You are a fine yeah, gentleman, Will. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, but if I was in that position, and, and I certainly wouldn't think that my only two options are to apologize or resign. The only option I would think of is, man, I should apologize, and God, do I have a lot of room for growth. Because that's the real that's the real underlying pause that I have from some of the things that were mined from those emails. It's just like, it's, it's a, it's a clear insight to his thinking in the apology. It's even a clear insight into his thinking beyond what he said in that statement. I, I really think that, that if, if you're so absolute about those two things, then maybe you don't want to do that job or maybe you don't want to do that in a way that actually, again, it gets back to protect and serve. That is the right thing for sexual assault victims. That is the right thing for rape survivors or even trying to fix a system in which, you know, it's clear based on his other statements that it's a problem. 
Oh my! I know. Wasn't we, we? Well, we're gonna dramatically reenact them all later. Oh, no, I know. This is, this, <laughs> was a, this is our great idea. We, we didn't. We, were, we shouldn't even. The idea before was that we weren't even gonna talk about this. We were just gonna read the emails. <laughs> yeah, we thought and about let them that. speak exactly for themselves. Yeah. But he did mention that he felt that progressive council members are seeking the new age of city government and shifting morals by the bar, byproduct of a growing society that has never been told. No. Oh my, that was so rude. That is the guy who was told no. (laughs) (laughs) That's his quote. I'm just reading quotes here, people. Well, well, first of all, you know, I've met I've met him and I've had discussions with him and we've had some some good discussion and I I don't agree with Chief Jones on on every matter. Um but uh you know, maybe it is time. Chief, you know, to uh, to let go of the reins and uh, let let some more progressive thought uh, come into the police department. Um, you've been on the police department. He's been on the police department for what? Thirty five years. Thirty eight. I thought it was thirty. Thirty. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we we are in an age now where the the citizens uh, we need more transparency. Um, we need more um, community and police uh, co- cooperation. Um, you know, we 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 hold our leaders accountable today. It is not the day of where you do what we say and and that's it. Um, we 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 hold our leaders accountable, and we and when we see that they may not be accountable or say things that may not be right, as we did, as you did or he did in the sexual assault. Uh, so statement. We saying, we're going to we're going to question it, and are you, yeah. Yeah, you saying? Are you basically saying he's? I, I'm, I'm asking this question. I'm, Do you think I'm, he's out of touch? I, I'm with saying, the yeah, yeah, yes. He said it in his emails. We yes. can just read it out of his emails. Like, let's just like he said. I mean, yes. did he, I, I swear he wrote an email that said like we're not connected. Like, I don't see this community as like connected and to me. And it's not a moral failing of the community. That's not the problem. You know, the problem runs a lot deeper. There's so many yes. different issues going on. Right. Yeah, I think right. what he says that the um, <clears throat> that I'm not connected to the community or the community is not connected to me is that we don't share the same values. We don't think the same way. If the community would at least understand the way I think and, and believe in those values that I think, then we will all get along in a very harmonious way. But out of touch is that not having the uh, sensitivity, you know, um, for the um, for the emotional stress, uh, for the for the traumatic experience that this individual is gonna suffer through. I mean, it's a long lasting. I mean, it's a life lasting. You know, uh, a life traumatic experience. So if you don't have that touch, if you don't have that human touch, that sensitivity, then you cannot be in a position of leadership. Uh, like William said, to protect and to 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 protect and serve, because you are not doing that when you make this type of comments about a victim 
who is you no, know, who just went through a very traumatic experience, and you're accusing the victim mm-hmm. of being responsible for and that traumatic experience. And, speak, and speaking of victims, the victim uh, he played the victim card, and it didn't look good on him. Um, like you know, oh, you're looking at me like you know it's my fault. Um, woe is me. You know why are you picking on me? Why is everybody always picking on me? Well, you know it's about accountability. It's a it's about you. You coming out and leaving some things behind. Just bring your human self, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Leave your judgment behind and just bring your human self. And then maybe, maybe we can connect with each other. I mean, one thing that I'm struck by is that, you know, um, we often ask, you know, black women to understand what black men are feeling. We often ask, you know, women to understand what men are feeling. But um, and, and, and we, we always ask, you know, black people to understand the white. Per- they have to understand the white perspective to survive. But what I see with him is that he is not going around with any ability to jump, even with his imagination, into somebody else's shoes. Right. And so it, all we just need is just a little bit more imagination. We don't need this for you to 100 percent see it. You know, you can sometimes mess up and be like, hey, I was in my own shoes. I was in my own thoughts and my own head. I was thinking from my perspective and not from your perspective. And I messed up and I said something wrong and I apologize. And like, you know, hey, if you exhibit that ability, but then, you know, the further emails just show that, first off, it's totally unprofessional to not realize that your emails can be full. Like, I mean, come on, buddy. Like, do you not realize that this is a government email account? Like, I mean, <laughs> geez, <Okay>. don't <laughs> talk about citizens that way on your government email account. Memo. Yeah, well, I guess, yeah, it's definitely around emails. Uh, we're going to we're going to wind this down. Jose, you want to have some final words on this? No, I was just going to say that probably there's a training on diversity, uh, inclusion, uh, anything like that. He probably tells the officers, well, you guys go, I'll stay behind. And on that note, uh, but I do believe the training, diversity training is important. Um, Jose, I am trying to clean up this podcast. <laughs> but no, but no, I mean, that's, you made a strong point and, and, strong and, point. and a valid point, Jose. Very, so I'm, I'm completely in agreement with you. So um, as we wrap up uh, this segment of the podcast, um, you know me, I always ask this question to all of you. Um, what, are, what are you each watching for and looking for this week? Um, Jose, you want to start? Um, the uh, Mueller report has caught my attention a lot, and um, I'm just... Uh, Concern uh, the the outcome of this uh, report, not just in t- political terms, but um, uh, what Trump is going to do, the way he's going to use uh, this in his favor, um, uh, and really probably start <laughs> the true witch hunt that he always criticizes about, you know, going after the people that supposedly investigated him so i don't know how this is gonna work or play out in the community in this nation you know once they find out that he's not somehow directly connected to collusion yeah catherine um 
Well, I am looking forward to. I'm going to go visit Seattle. So, oh, um, really? Yes. So I'm looking oh, forward wow. to that. Nice. And so going? I'm going to get some recommendations once we wrap. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And um, and so I'm looking forward to that. But also, you know, I think one key thing that I've been really happy with um, here is that we I see people standing up. And so when you talk about like the Mueller report or anything like that, I mean, and you know, you say can one person change anything? I think that what we're seeing the impact of is that one person standing alone in the Justice Department cannot change anything, but it's our communities that can change and put the brakes, and it's our communities supporting a different Congress and, you know, all the investigations into, like, we just talked about the gun, you know, the gun, the, the you know, the, the loosening the gun restrictions, and why, why did we allow that to happen, and what's going on there? I mean, this administration is so corrupt that, like, and, and the investigation that was just, you know, completed, or, you know, somewhat completed was so narrow that um, and, and still, they had so mm-hmm. many people um, get convicted, <laughs> but um, but but so or plead guilty, and um, but it was so narrow. And I think that what we're going to see is that there are so many other issues that he was not given, and that we're going to see those play out. And I think we all need to stand up, and we need to ask from our individual leaders, our city leadership, our you know state legislature that's all coming up for election, everybody, and come together as that community. Just like at UVA, like rah rah out there on that lawn until we get some <laughs> get to get some different leadership I, <laughs> together. I, I concur with that. Um, I'm looking forward to three things this week. Uh, following the Mueller, Mueller report, I'm looking to see what the Southern District of New York is, uh, what they're going to do. Um, I'm looking to hearing from our city leaders regarding the um, upcoming uh, task committee for gun violence. Um, you know what's going on with that. Just you know. Give us a word. Give us a date. Something. Something. Um, And um, the third thing that I'm looking forward to um, is just healing. Um, Healing of our communities, healing of our state, healing of our country. Um, from all of the the trauma, the 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 Mueller report, the shootings, the the police brutality, um, just healing and and uh, that's, we need that. Um, we need hope, and and once you lose hope, you you lose everything. And we need to hold on to that little glimmer of hope that we have. That is so beautiful, um, and it worries me a lot because of what he's doing in the Middle East in, in Israel. He's just like steering a war there. So when you speak about healing, you know, have the faith, uh, have the hope, it's so important. But the way this administration is handling peace, healing, and hope, it's not really in, in their it's agenda. Not in, not in their vocabulary. No, no not at all. William, um, thank you for joining us today. So tell me a little bit about what you think about next week. Uh, The Mueller investigation at least being at least dead so that we can give up all hope on 2019. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, never learn to love anything again. Uh, Yeah, Mueller report, seeing what happens with that. Hopefully, That was something. um, Hopefully the the gun task force will, or the, the gun violence task force will start coming to fruition and, and hopefully seeing what's going on with hopefully our new police chief from Portsmouth, <laughs> <laughs> who I don't You're even hiring. know where I'm going to highly recommend her for the position. <laughs> Thank you, William. Well, uh, a couple things that um, I'm looking forward to is that uh, we just, we just opened up the new Franklin Road Bridge. 
That oh, yeah. was that was um, it was very impressive. Everyone, yep. everyone was a very impressive bridge, um, <laughs> and uh, and I'm I'm glad that it it, it I happened. Um, I I'm hoping I'm hoping they can move forward on Tenth Street. Wouldn't that be nice um, mm-hmm. if they can finish that? Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping all the energies around the bridge, they can now I can see they can now focus on Tenth Street. So <laughs> I'm going to I, I'm assuming that's the plan. So we're going to see that happen, and also I. I I still, on a personal note, I just hope they can just pave Cove Road. I know that's my <laughs> yeah. own that's my own personal mission because yes, that's is. a road yes, I drive on every day. I just want them to pave it. If they pave me, I'll be a better, I'll be a happier person <laughs> if they just pave the damn road. Um, but but even on on a national note, um, I noticed that uh, Trump now that he feels like he's. Um, away, uh, got Scott um, yeah. got cleared of his oh charges, um, suspected charges, I guess. Um, I noticed that he's back on the war path of trying to eliminate everything that President Obama oh. has implemented, and oh, now absolutely. and now he's now he's after Obamacare. And if you heard this morning that he's now trying to get uh, to repeal everything from Obamacare and I know uh, right now they have 11.4 million people on the plan and now but that's a decrease of 300,000 but it's being administered by the Trump administration and they're just trying to kill it and so um, I'm you know again now that he's he's going on the offensive now and that's that concerns me now these last two years now that he feel like he's vindicated Mm -hmm. that he's you know he's the type of person that um, is, is petty and so you hit him, he's going to hit you back. And so I think he's he's back on a war path. And doing yeah, that is things. a war from yeah. from uh, defense. He goes into offense now, yeah. full force. Yeah. And that's yeah. all he knows. It, yeah. and that, that's 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 the way he operates. And uh, yeah. well, one other thing is that if if we do get a new police chief, can we please put it that we can elect the the police chief instead of having some, them selected? And that, I know. That's a topic for another day, but I would love to see that happen. Yeah, well, well, we'll see. We'll yeah. see. Well, uh, Catherine, Jose, William, and Karen, thank you so much for um, being with us today. And thank you for listening to Our Voices, Our Community, presented by Colors VA Magazine. If you like what you've heard today, leave us a review. Be sure to like Colors VA on Facebook and Colors VA Mag on Instagram and Twitter. Be the first one to hear our voices, our community, by signing up for the Colors VA newsletter or visit our website at www.colorsvamag.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.